Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So the first item we're going to talk to you this morning is the Oliver McGowan Mandatory Training on Learning Disability and Autism. We mentioned this on the last time we had um, a practice manager update and it's just to just to sort of update you really as to what's happening with this. So in July, the Health and Care Act 2022 introduced a requirement that regulated service providers, i.e. GP surgeries, have to ensure staff receive training on learning disability and autism. So the e-learning is available, e-learning for health, which is free, and that's an hour and a half. And the idea is everybody completes that. Um, but actually, as we promised um, last time we spoke to you, We've spoken to the BMA and CQC regarding this training, and the BMA's response is that practices don't have to do the Oliver McGowan mandatory training, but they do need to make sure that um, all your staff have training in learning disability and autism, but nobody can insist, CQC cannot insist, it is the Oliver McGowan training. But it's important you know that, and I know last time you asked me whether Blue Streams Autism and Learning Disabilities Training would, would be acceptable. Now, I don't know the details of the Blue Stream learning, but I know a lot of you use Blue Stream for other things. So I've got no reason to say it isn't going to be suitable. But what's going to happen is going to be a code of practice is going to be um, released, and that's going to say exactly what is required for the learning disability and autism training. So wait for that to come out and then everybody will make sure that it's matched up and then it's up to you to choose what you do and what you ask all your staff to do. I think it's really important that you know that we did a meeting with CQC. They said that um, they're under the umbrella term of learning disabilities and autism. One of the training packages is the Oliver McGowan. The Oliver McGowan is the um, government's preferred training package, but nothing is in any regulation to say you have to use that one. But if you don't use that one, it would be good to know why not. And just to let you know, even though the e-learning package only came out on the 1st of November, CQC are already asking practices whether they have done the Oliver McGowan training and if they haven't, why not? And what else might they want to do instead? So this is just a heads up, really, particularly if you've got CQC coming, be aware of it. There's lots more training that's going to be developed um, in time, there's tier one, there's tier two, there's core capabilities frameworks, there's all sorts of things coming out. At the moment, the only thing that's out there is the free e-learning from e-learning for health. Um, but just be aware, particularly if you've got CQT coming, that you know what you, you think you might be doing, have discussions with your practice, with your partners and discuss it. And I noticed there's a question in there, and I don't know whether that's related to this or not, so I shall just flip it up and have to say. Um, so um, David just commented, I'm not sure how useful the training was, but I did do the Oliver McGowan training. I've informed the staff that as there is no alternative for us to the industry, that's fine. That, David, that's absolutely your choice. And one of the things we are, we are talking to Autism um, Hampshire about what sort of things we might be able to do. And we talk about possibly doing some podcasts or something that might be helpful if that's going to be an acceptable alternative. We're just learning. Um, I was talking to one of the workforce people from Hampshire about ICB yesterday, and she just said, if we have to do this and the tier two training for all clinicians is all day, that's 1600 days of training they're going to have to put on in Hampshire, by, which seems absolutely extraordinary so um it's it's just a work in progress keep an eye on it keep aware of it be aware of as i say if secrecy come that's going on but the more we can find out the better um and as i say anything more we can find out we will let you know um that would be fine is there anything else in the chat um questions done that's lovely and i see lisa harding has joined us poor lisa that must have been horrible it's just so stressful isn't it when zoom won't let you on welcome 
Sorry about that, Louise. And it's not your fault. It's, these, these things are sent to try. So we were just saying how delightful it is when technology works, but actually it's just a pain when it doesn't, isn't it? But then we wouldn't have been able to do this sort of thing every other week if we were all driving around the, the country with these. So there are advantages and generally it works well. So I think, Lisa, you were just going to mention something about um, HE contracts. That's right. We've had a few queries from training practices. So this item is, is for specifically training practices asking whether they should sign the new HEE national contract. <clears throat> so we contacted the BMA. The BMA have advised that practices may wish not to sign it for the, just for the moment until they've had a chance at the BMA to go through it and check it and give us any comments. So if you want to hold fire just for now, we will let you know as soon as we hear back from the BMA with further advice. Thank you, Lisa. That's helpful. Um, Michelle, I think we're going to talk about GPAD now as opposed to GBAS. So GPAD. Thanks, Louise. Yes, that's right. So that's a general practice appointment data extract that happens on a monthly basis from practices. And there is a reason why today we're mentioning it, because there's a release due tomorrow, the 24th of November, um, which will release October information um, for practices. So there is a difference this time. So usually this is um, a generic uh, release that shows information based, I think, on ICB and regional level. However, for tomorrow, there will be, um, from tomorrow, there will be data release that goes into practice level information. Um, and we already acknowledge, and I think it's been acknowledged widely, that the data is flawed and it isn't helpful. And we believe there may be information which identifies the highest and low achie lowest achieving practices in England. We are in, um, incredibly mindful of the potential impact this will have on you and your teams um, because it will now be available to the public and the contacts you may get as a consequence of that. I think the worrying thing is that the information doesn't acknowledge the indirect work that you do as practices, which patients won't see. It doesn't recognise or reflect the shortage of workforce either and the staff, staff sickness and retention issues that you are all facing. What we, do, what we believe the data will identify is that practices are seeing more patients than ever. Um, and you may wish to take a look at your practice information um, on, the, on a dashboard that's available through NHS Digital. And I'm sure with this podcast, we'll place that link um, uh, with this so you can have a look if you so wish, because I think you can look at it for your own practice. So some ideas you may want to consider because this is potentially going to, um, as it's public, it might hit the media. Um, some ideas you may want to consider is placing the iceberg diagram on your uh, website uh, and explaining the indirect work that patients won't see that you undertake on a daily basis. You may want to include positive um, uh, patient survey results um, in relation to your practice. And also, you may want to take a look at the work that um, we did last year when CQC were undertaking access visits. I think it was last December. And we produced a checklist of information you may want to um, provide to your patients and you could pop that onto your website. I think what we wanted just to highlight also as an LMC, we are reviewing the data um, along with considering uh, reviewing other pieces of information that's available from NHS Digital, such as workforce, and we'll be releasing information shortly in, in relation to that. And also we have been liaising with the ICBs who are also preparing media and comms in relation to this, who have all of them have been incredibly supportive of general practice and recognising the issues that releasing the data in this way will cause practices. So we wanted just to highlight this is happening tomorrow. Um, we will be, we are looking at the data and um, happy to take any questions on it if there are. Yes, there are, Michelle. So 
Just one other reminder, can we remind us of the link where we can find this data? Are practices informed or do they have to proactively go and find it? I think they have to proactively go and find it. I think they might have a login to a dashboard on NHS Digital, um, which we will place with uh, the podcast uh, uh, recording. Lovely. And I think Dawn's actually typing an answer, I can Dawn see. Might, might be typing in the, um, <laughs> the link as we speak, but for those who are listening on the podcast, that's really, really that's helpful. Um, Ed's asked a finance question. We'll come back to that one in a, in a, in a bit, Ed. So um, Jenny said, apparently the data will include information on NHS payments to practices. Is that true, Michelle? Have you seen that? I thought it, that there is going to be other data. I thought it was complaints, definitely. I thought there's other elements of it. We can just double check whether it includes payment information as well. I'm not, okay. we need to just check that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the practice page says it's still being beta tested at practice level. So this seems wrong. If you go back to previous years, it's counting all slot types, including blocked and a range of other non-appointment data. Yep, we absolutely know this data. As it says, it's beta. However, they're still going to release it to the public, which we think is um, not the right decision, obviously. Uh, so there are huge amounts of issues with this data, which as an LMC, we are going to start analysing once we can get access to it. And we will try and identify the issues uh, with that so that practices are aware. ICBs are also doing the same. They're also looking at this and preparing information. So I think you know, and we are working with ICBs on this too. So we are looking at it and we'll share information once we know what's out there. Thanks, Michelle. Um, so just a comment for everybody, you do have to go proactive, proactively go and find this data and you have to have an account. Um, and the link is is in, the, um, is in there. Thank you very much. Doug, you pop that in. Um, Jenny's just said, is there a copy of the iceberg info on the website? Yes, there is a copy of the diagram. It's on the, it'll be on the comms page um, and we'll make sure the link goes out. It's actually going on our newsletter this week, but I will make sure that it also goes out on the podcast and that would be absolutely fine. So there's nothing else about, um, particularly about GPAD, Michelle, but as you're there and as we've got Dawn and Lisa there too, what did the LMC think of the budget and minimum wage increase? It's going to be really tough funding wise this year and next year. I cannot disagree with you on that. I, I think it's quite, it, yeah, it's going to be tricky as to how it's going to be managed. I think for practices, they're going to have to start looking quite significantly at the services that they're providing over and above their GMS and PMS contracts and looking at whether they are able to continue providing them with the tariff that's being paid to them and the, and the funding that they're receiving. We do have a costing spreadsheet that the practices might want to be aware of to look at. And also the BMA have information on their website too. Uh, I think there's a toolkit that the practices can work through. I think practices are going to have some really tough times and some tough decisions to make, which please be assured we are raising with ICBs, local authorities around this so that they know that there are going to be some uh, difficult decisions to be made and they need to be aware that that potentially is a risk. We were talking to some practices at the beginning of the week and they were saying cash flow is a bit of an issue at the moment because some of the ICBs aren't paying out as quickly as they might have done. Um, do let us know if you've got that situation and we are pushing as hard as we can. But if you have any individual examples, it's always helpful for us to push push on that door as well. Um, Lisa, I see you've unmuted. Did you have something you wanted to add to this bit? The only bit really, I think Michelle said it all. I think the only bit that I was going to add is it's the LMC's national conference um, on Thursday and Friday. So I'm sure it will come up at the conference and I know the BMA is lobbying government around it as well so it's very much on their agenda. Yes um, yeah I hope that helps a bit Ed um, 
We've got a few other bits coming in. Any news on whether we will also have to fund the employer pension change to an additional 6% as this will add oil to the flames? Yeah. Dawn. Yes, just on that note, somebody actually raised that query on email, I think it was last week, and I have already sent that in um, to the BMA and um, NHS pensions as well to ask, because we don't know is the honest truth yet about that extra. Yeah. And um, the R staff um, agenda for change surgery pay gap is causing problems with retention and recruitment directly into surgeries. Another comment, I think we can only agree with you. Um I don't know what we can do apart from just pushing it further up, which we can in every possible direction through sort of individuals meetings we're having with the sort of local ICBs, through the BMA, seeing what suggestions they have got. If we come up with any sort of good suggestions, we'll obviously share them with you. It's a, it's a, just a tough time, um, tough time for everybody at the moment. Okay, thank you for that, um, Michelle. That was really useful and stimulated to the handy discussion. I think, Zoe, we're going to come now to you and we're going to talk a little bit about um, the standards of cleanliness, your favourite subject. Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, as promised before, we were saying that we were going to chase up the BMA stance on where they stand in terms of is this mandatory for primary care? Is this something we should be implementing? And as we know that, November deadline, the 1st of November has passed. Um, we've also discussed with the CQC and we have do have some information to share with you, which is great news. So the BMA, um, in discussion with NHS England, um, confirmed that there is still no contractual requirement for general practice to um, adhere to the standards. And at, at this time, there is no current implementation date planned for primary practice to um, be compliant. Um, NHS NHS England have um, confirmed that they are working with practices and organisations to produce a, a primary care friendly version. And that's with the ambition um, in the future that healthcare settings, all healthcare settings will conform to the same standards. Um, but the BMA have made it quite clear that um, for uh, any implementation of standards in the future will only follow a contractual change which will um, require compliance so that's still all in discussion but as it stands at this time um, it is not mandatory um, for uh, general practice to be compliant. Um, in discussion with the CQC um, they've also uh, suggested that they're not specifically looking for um, practices show that they are implementing the standards they will continue to um, ensure that practices are adhering to the standards set out by the code of practice um, in terms of infection control and the Health and Social Care Act. Um, and that includes all of the usual things that they would do, so the visual walk-arounds in practices, um, checking that the correct policies are in place, um, that um, audits are being done, actions are being uh, taken into account and actioned. Um, more information about what the CQC expectations are currently um, are can be found on their website under the MIF Buster, which is the 99 one, which is primary care in 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 infection control and primary care. Um, and it's it's probably important to say, although the standards aren't yet mandatory, um, practices are can choose to uh, implement parts of the standards if they feel that that would help demonstrate compliance in certain areas. So uh, examples of that could be um, what we've looked at in our own practice could be things like using the functional risk rating scores to identify where your high risk areas are, which would then really help with writing your um, high risk protocol policy. So things for like minor surgery where your infection control precautions might be um, 
you might have additional infection control precautions. You may audit those areas more frequently. Um, another example is cleaning uh, responsibilities framework. We found that really useful to actually help identify who's responsible. Is it the, is it the practice? Is it the cleaning company? Um, that then helps those discussions with the cleaning company. And when you perhaps have a, a walk around with the, the company, cleaning company to see um, are we compliant? Whose responsibility is that? Where do we need to make improvements? Um, and and CQC really do like that as well that you're you're working together. Um, so you may choose to implement parts of it, but it's not mandatory. Um, and just to emphasise, and we've mentioned this before, a really great resource um, uh, that we all should be using from NHS England is the National Infection Prevention Con and Control Manual for England, which um, the link to that can be found on our website on the infection control page. Um, that is like a, a bible to use in terms of basing protocols on um, really good appendices there with uh, posters you can use for hand hygiene practices donning and doffing um, some really good flow charts as well for things like um, exposure to bodily fluids uh, what to do in sharps injuries those kind of things so some really good resources on there as well Thank you. That was really helpful, Zoe. And we're going to have a quick chat now because you've just had a CQC inspection, haven't you? So first of all, how did it go? It was fine. It's it, it was it was it was quite intense in terms yeah. of um, all the aspects that they wanted to know about and what was covered. Yeah. Um, and did they ask specifically about the stand the cleanliness standards? No, the standards weren't mentioned. Um, so in terms of infection control, they're very keen at looking at our, our annual audit and um, and our action plan. But have we actioned those actions? Have we gone back and looked at those? And where is our proof that we are doing that? I was going to say, where where is the proof? Did, did you, so how, how, did you, how did you handle that? And did you have the proof? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I said, we've started to, we did start to look at the cleansiness standards. And um, one of the things was having a meeting with the cleaning company and um, some of the stuff that we looked at in our action plan for following on from our audits um, were things that we could take up with the cleaning company and discussing clarity is that your responsibility should we be doing that can we set like schedules for deeper cleans can we do you know and and identify the, all of the issues actually the minutes from that meeting were a really good um, source of evidence that we were addressing those things or planning to address them so I think the key thing is having like a gap analysis where are we now what are we doing about it where do we need to get to um, and so it's just acknowledging that you 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 have noted it and you are doing something about it and were they keen about sort of practical applications? So if you'd had any sort of significant event, what had you done and what had you showed and what was what was that like? Yep. So basically, um, they specifically asked for um, examples of things like how have you dealt with significant events? And again, evidence of that. So what were the outcomes? Um, so we uh, from a nursing team perspective, we I was asked to where, where did we take a learning event or a significant event? Could we prove what the outcome was, did, that we improved things? What did we do in, in, in that case? And we used an example of a, um, uh, a nursing team um, significant event where a urine dip was missed in terms of the significance of a urine dip for a diabetic. Um, so we knew, we knew there was a training um, 
uh, action required. So we took that to the nursing team meeting. We discussed it. We had our long-term conditions nurse um, actually do a training session for the team. Um, I then wrote a protocol for you analysis, which broke down what everything meant and what actions we should take in certain circumstances. And of course, I was unable to evidence that because it was um, the, with the protocol that we had written, but also with the minutes of the meeting. Um, and actually, we had a success story as well, which we also minuted. Um, as a result of that, just a month later, a, a patient was picked up in the same situation and it was dealt with in the correct way and they were sent to hospital immediately. It, was, it, it, it just showed a really good story and how we worked through it came out Fantastic. the other side thank you so and i think you, you commented earlier when we were chatting that you had so much information to show the inspector they didn't have a chance to ask you anything else because they were just overwhelmed with information so that seems to be a very good trick for just um for just sort of steering the conversation the way you want it to go so um yeah well done for that i'm sure it must be a very stressful time for any practice going through that it must be a very, it's a very as you said very, very intense time so Zoe is a fantastic resource for all of us. So if any of you or any of your nurses would like to pick Zoe's brain, especially as she's fresh from a CQC visit, um, I'm sure please don't hesitate. Um, and I'm sure Zoe would be only too delighted to help you. Um, thank you, Zoe. That was really, really helpful. Okay. Sorry, I've just muted my, my own uh, microphone there. So uh, just another question that's come in um, a little bit um, away from what our topics, but that's absolutely fine. As I said, you're very welcome. So can we have an update on the guidance you mentioned last week about NHS property service disputes? Is is, is there any update, Michelle? All oh, there is. So um, I have recorded a podcast with Adam Thompson. We did that yesterday. Um, it's not specifically around, uh, I suppose it is around the, it is around NHSPS um, and it's about the settlement letters that practices are receiving again. So we're going around that loop again that NHSPS are, are sending out. So um, recorded it yesterday. There's some tips and um, pointers from Adam uh, in relation to that. And we're also aware of a BMA Q&A document that we're um that we've recently become aware of. So we're going to put all of that into um, uh, communication and send it out to, to the NHSPS practices, hopefully by the end of this week. So you'll have it. The podcast will hopefully also be on our website as well this week. Lovely. Thank you, Michelle. And I hope that helps. Excellent. Okay, Lisa, I think we're going to come to you next about some um, contract updates. Yes. Thanks, Louise. This is just to let people know that the new standard GMS, uh, PMS and APMS contracts have been published by NHSE um, alongside the relevant contract variation notices. So these reflect the introduction of the ICBs and incorporate the changes made to the contract regulations and directions published in July and October of this year, which are on our website. Um, so you're likely to see your commissioners sending out these updates to practices to, to ask them to, to sign off the variations and notify them of the changes. So it was just really to make people aware um, that those may be coming out fairly soon. That's really helpful. Thank you, Lisa. Um, I'm just going to mention something now about paramedics. So Health Education England has developed a new pathway to help paramedics advance their careers, which is a roadmap to practice and outlines the skills and attributes needed to help paramedics become first contact practitioners or advanced pra practitioners. So the, that guidance document, we'll put a link to that, but just to let you know that is out there, all of you who've got paramedics, um, some of you might be PCA managers listening or practice managers who've got paramedics working in their practice, that would be very, very handy. And I'm just going to pop back to Zoe now because I know um, part of the CQC inspection, they were particularly interested, weren't they, in the R's roles and what sort of training the R's um, people had had. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's again, it's evidence and where it, evidence of the correct training path, the uh, clinical supervision, and the support that they're they're um, receiving in the practice as well. So it's um, so, yeah, as you said, it was sort of notable that CQC was sort of all over that. So just be aware and have the documents um, to hand um, if CQC come, or even if they don't have come, then you've got you've got the hand anyway. I think Dawn, we're going to talk about um, out of area registration, and I think you'd like me to share my screen. Yes, please, Louise. Thanks. Lovely. Thanks, Louise. Yes, we've had a few queries recently <clears throat> about patients that um, don't live uh, within your practice boundary anymore. Um, and if there's anything you can kind of do about that um, when you're looking at your sort of demand capacity and your, your workloads. So there are two scenarios um, that there may be for a patient who doesn't live within your practice boundary. So scenario one is where a patient has been registered at your practice perhaps for a number of years, but they've now moved house um, and they've been allowed to remain on the practice list, um, although they're no longer living in the practice boundary. Now, being allowed to remain on the list once they've moved out of the practice boundary um, does now mean they are registered permanently and you've accepted that responsibility. And whilst the practice can write and ask the patient to register elsewhere nearer to their new home, unfortunately, you can't insist unless any exceptional circumstances um could be shown, although I think to be fair, I'm not sure what those exceptional circumstances may be, in, um, but you would have to look at that on an individual basis. So scenario two, this is where patients that have been specifically registered at the practice as an out of area status and coded as an out of area status. Um, these patients would have been agreed on a clinical consideration on an individual basis that they could be registered at the practice with this out of area status. In other words, the practice knew at the time of registering them that they didn't live within the practice boundary. Um, there is a provision within the regulations that would allow you to remove an out of area patient that's no longer considered clinically appropriate or or practical even, um, for you to continue to provide those services, but that would be on an individual basis. So you could actually remove some or one of these patients on an individual basis if you can show that it would, wasn't clinical or practical to continue to provide such services. Um, just an example here, you'll see on the screen, you've got a patient living in London, for instance. Um, they were originally registered with you um, as an out-of-area patient, you, you're based in Dorset. I picked that for no reason in particular other than Dorset in London or miles and miles apart. Um, it could be reasonable to say that you might want to remove them on the grounds that it wouldn't be practical to continue to provide those services. However, if you've got a patient who's living perhaps one or two streets away from the practice boundary and had done so for many years or as an out-of-area patient, it could be a little bit more challenging to justify that. You might not be able to see it at the bottom of the screen, but the BMA um, have got a view and some information on all of this. Um, the link is on the slides that will be with um, the podcast afterwards, and we, we would probably strongly recommend that you take a look at that. So what can you do about it? Well, we suggest that practices have a look at your process policies for patients who move home. Um, if a patient advises you that they have moved don't update the clinical system there and then with the new address. 
wait and check that they do still live in the practice boundary. If they live in the practice boundary, great. You can continue to update the address in the clinical system as you normally would and carry on as normal. Next slide, please, Louise. However, if that patient has moved and they are no longer living within the boundary, then please follow the process on the PCSC webpage for how to deduct those patients. I won't read all that out. I'm sure you, if you use the link, you can go and see it. But essentially, it basically says, don't update that new address in your clinical system. You need to ask for a deduction and you put the new address um, in the free text field so the PCSE can see where they've gone to and write to them and PCSE will then deduct them within 30 days. And last slide, please, Louise, if anybody wanted to have a look, there are regulations on these issues. And these are the links to the two regulations you probably might want to see or have a look at if, if you were so minded to. But we can put all that on our podcast webpage for you if you need it. Really handy. Thank you very much, Dawn. Just one question, which I think you came a little bit um, in, earlier on in this slide, which I think you've now answered, but just to just to be sure, um, if we tell a patient they have to change practice as soon as we become aware of a move out of area, I take it we can still deduct? Yes, you're right, Louise. That, that's we followed. It's, it's that little bit of information on the PCSE website that kind of tells you how to go about it, and the link will be on the slide for you. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and then finally, on our um, agenda is just to let you know that now a practitioner health service to so anybody working in primary care who is struggling can have confidential care and support via the practitioner health service. So that's just something anybody struggling, any member of your team at all. It was open to GPs and then it was open to GPs and practice managers. Now it's so absolutely everybody, anybody and everybody in the team. Um, the service is expertise in treating health and care professionals with a range of mental health conditions and addiction offering a hybrid mix of face-to-face -face and virtual com consultations so again we'll put that link in there's lots and lots of support available on our support for practices page do have a look at that um, and don't hesitate to contact it if you can't find it or you're struggling if any of you don't struggle for long just please come to us and just say i can't remember or where's the link and we can help you um so please take advantage of, of anything that there is there and uh, as practice managers don't feel that you individually have to support all your members of staff there are other people that can do that support for you so please remember we've got the um, health and wellbeing boards all over the patch who are there ready to help you and your practices if that would be helpful so i think we've come to the end of our quite packed agenda today so there are no more outstanding questions um so i think we'll probably say thank you very much to zoe Dawn, Michelle and Lisa. And thank you all of you who um, came join us today, over 50 of you again, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, we will see you again in a couple of weeks time. Take care, all the best and we'll see you soon. Thanks very much, bye-bye. Bye everybody. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.